What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFP Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And uh, big win! Texas wins their bowl game. The Alamo Bowl. The, the third time in four years they've been in it, or whatever it was. Uh the pride of San Antonio, basically a home game now, uh, and gave Tom Herman a, uh, I mean, I'll call it a tacky Gatorade bath. I get that this is the last game for the seniors and stuff. I don't, I don't, I thought the Gatorade bath was supposed to be for like Super Bowl only, and then it uh, moved over to college uh, for the championship, and now we're giving it out at the Alamo Bowl and the Cure Bowl and, and all the other bowls. So, um, but a uh, great game by uh, Bijan Robinson. Rashawn Johnson had a great game. Thompson had an awesome game replacing Sam Ellinger. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, that's the game that I was happiest about. But Nick, um, how do we do on uh, the bowl games last week? And what was your favorite one? Uh, well, so so we, as far as the the numbers go, what we what we uh, discuss here most most weeks have had a fairly fairly good week. We were eight and five against the spread. Uh, to this point in bowl games, we were three and one, I think when we started recording last week. So that's what five and five and four since. So uh, not, not too bad totals. However, we've uh, we talked a lot during the season, how totals have been just incredibly hot and we're, we're certainly going to have to uh, correct at some point. And that has happened. We're, we're at uh, three and 10, on uh, over-unders during the bowl season, but uh, still still doing pretty strong for the year. Feel good about uh, the, the record that we put on overall and uh, excited about finishing strong here with the last uh, really just, what, a dozen, dozen or so games. So mm-hmm. uh, getting, getting down toward the end, but I guess the maybe the most exciting and in, in, in a weird way, just the way it, it uh, went to overtime, but getting uh, Liberty and Coastal Carolina uh, to, you know, had one loss between the two of them and, and uh, looked like uh, Liberty was going to pull off the upset in regulation, uh, had a handoff that ended up getting fumbled at the goal line uh, when they were just trying to, to set it up for a last second field goal to win it. And, you know, we're, we're somewhat fortunate, I guess, to, uh, be able to, to pull it out in overtime. But uh, that was uh, the most exciting game, I think, so far. Uh, it was good to see. I do have my uh, University of Hawaii hoodie on at the, at the moment, so it was good to see uh, Hawaii get the, get the win in the New Mexico Bowl in Texas on uh, mm-hmm. uh, last Thursday. They, they came out uh, really, you know, uh, looked look really good early. Houston did not particularly uh look all that interested in, in playing uh but you know overall it's it's been an exciting set of games i mean you know utsa gave louisiana a good run it was a one score game there at the end it uh felt you know louisiana built up a, a pretty big lead early on and, and just sort of had to uh you know hold on for that when they were up i think what 17 at one point 24 to seven early third quarter so uh seemed like they were in control but utsa you know put together a strong finish to a really somewhat surprisingly good year uh played that game really tough and and then you know louisiana finished just with the one loss to coastal carolina georgia state is is, uh, was there 
had a, a big win against uh, WKU, Western Kentucky, uh, just, you know, uh, got the, the score to open the uh, the ball game. But then from that point on, Georgia State really just sort of controlled things and uh, looked really impressive, picked up a winning season uh, finally there. And, and then a little bit of a break, of course, but uh, last night, you know, Texas, of course, pretty impressive. And uh, we will, I'm sure, hear a lot uh, over the next few months about Texas, how that momentum is going to carry into uh, 2021. We're sad to see Sam Ellinger not be able to play in the second half because of that shoulder injury. Uh, but prior to that, another you know pretty good game. Miami, I think uh, we talked about last year or last week, excuse me, that uh, we had Miami favored and, and didn't really seem – Right to me that that Oklahoma State was favored to win that game, but Miami consistently shot itself in the foot in the second half. A lot of drops, uh, you know, a lot of penalties. Kind of uh, they they dug themselves too big a hole. Twenty one nothing in the first quarter. Oklahoma State was able to to hold on for a close win there. But uh, yeah, you know, solid solid group of games. Unfortunately, we've had quite a few canceled. Uh, but uh, you know, earlier today the Duke's Mayo Bowl uh, kind of disappointing for a lot of people the the uh gatorade bath we expected potentially you know a lot of people thought it could have been mayonnaise but uh was not yeah i, I wasn't gonna be real excited about that if i were paul Chris. <laughs> but uh yeah anyway uh, you know solid solid group of games liberty i think getting the the win over coastal carolina was probably in the in the most exciting game and in the biggest uh, game that we've had so far between probably the, the two best teams other than the uh, two Power 5 matchups last night probably. But uh, overall, you know, so far so good, and our numbers are, are looking okay on the official number, but the, the totals hopefully we'll be able to pick up uh, a few games that we've lost here over the last uh, last week or so. Yeah, Xavier, how did you uh, how did you enjoy the Lending Tree Bowl and, uh, you know, any other bowls you want to you wanna talk about here? The Landing Tree Bowl was great. I mean, it couldn't have been any better. Uh, I just so happened to be like the only Florida State, or Florida State, Georgia State personnel there to shoot the game. The team didn't even bring their own cameraman. So I was like the only guy there for Georgia State. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so the team was like all in my face the entire That's time. That's crazy. I, I'm surprised that they didn't bring their own guy at all. Yeah, I, I think they leased out a guy, a freelancer in Mobile. And he shot for them, but like they didn't have quote unquote like the guys that I know are a part of the athletics program. Like I know the guys who were a part of yeah, it. Yeah. I didn't see any of them there uh, throughout the entire game. Uh, so hey, it was great for me though. I got all the shots I needed to. Uh, if you want to go check out the pictures, you know where to go. Uh, but yeah, no, it was awesome. Uh, outside of the Lending Tree Bowl, obviously Liberty Coastal Carolina had the weirdest ending of any ball game. Not only do we have what only a team like the Falcons could do. You know, you're trying to lose. You're trying to make sure you don't score. And not only do you not score, but you also fumble, uh, you know, and then you just so happen to pull it out in overtime with a block field goal. Great. It, it, it was the weird. And that happened the same night of that Raiders Dolphins game. So it was just a weird night of football. Uh, but no, it was a great game. I really did enjoy watching. Obviously, we talked a week ago about the BYU game. Uh, but actually, I really did join the Miami-Oklahoma State game last night. And it was because there were two teams that I genuinely thought were going to give us exactly what they did. Oklahoma State started off fast and then just hit a wall. 
was completely expecting that. I was like, okay, they're going to hit a wall at some point. This 21-point barrage is going to stay where it is for at least a quarter and a half. Miami doesn't capitalize because of a lot of drops. They didn't help out Derek King or Nikosi Perry when both of them were in. I think if those receivers have a, have that game over, maybe Miami wins that ball game. Let's be honest. Uh, they, they left a lot of points on the field uh, with drop passes, but it was a really good ball game. Uh, and I think Nikosi Perry, I think at the end of the day, you know, has an opportunity he looked good. It, yeah. it was, um, you know, I, I was actually, I was recording a podcast um, uh, as that game was going on. So I had it on in the background uh, and I was talking to my buddy when De'Ara King got hurt. I was like, mm, Nikosi Perry, not great. Like this is not going to go well. And he played really well in, in that second half. He That's was good. Audition tape. If he's transferring, there goes your audition tape. That was, yeah. uh, that was a good half for him to show the colleges like, hey, I still have something left in the tank. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a good week of games. And like I did mention, uh, Derek King announced that he plans to go back to uh, Miami for 2021, but he got hurt in the cheese it ball and it did not look good. I haven't heard if they've announced if he tore anything yet, but uh, it was kind of similar. You know, Sam Ellinger hasn't announced he can go back to Texas because this year, this year is going to be treated as a, you know, uh, kind of a mulligan year. Anyone who wants to come back has an extra year of eligibility and all that stuff. And he left with a shoulder injury at halftime and, uh, Casey Thompson, uh, took over and, and looked great. But, um, Sam has the potential to come back too. So Nick, your thoughts on Dear King, not only, uh, getting hurt, but also knowing he's going to come back and what do you think Sam's going to do? Yeah, it was really unfortunate to, to see him get hurt, and it did look like a, a fairly significant injury. Hopefully, uh, it you know is less serious than it than it looked, and we haven't gotten official word just yet. But when it when it happened live, I thought that maybe he uh, took like a helmet to the knee or, or something like that. But then looking at it a little closer, it looked like maybe a, a non-contact thing right before, which is not you know that that's potentially worse because that's you know ACL territory and and uh that would you know we would expect that that dear king would be able to get back and, and fully healthy uh by you know the, the start of next season but uh it certainly would would be uh a long hard road to, to rehab and, and all of that and when we first found out that king was planning on coming back in in 2021 i tweeted out and maybe maybe a little prematurely but uh i'm i i it's probably not too far off. I, I said that uh, I envisioned that Miami would actually be a top five team in our 2021 power rankings because of that, because uh, De'Ara King is a, a maximum rated player, 100 rated player at the most important position that counts the most. And, and uh, you know, a lot of top quarterbacks will be gone. So a lot of the, the teams uh, currently ranked ahead of Miami and, and we have Miami uh, at this point, even after the the loss, they are uh, you know they they've been in the in the top twenty most of the year. They I think it, at one point got up into the twelve eleven range, but uh, they were nineteenth coming into uh, last night's game. But then you look at you know Trevor Lawrence will not be here next year. Uh, Justin Field, Fields will not be here next year. It's sounding like Mac Jones might uh, not be there. So those are other really, really highly rated 
players and, and uh, you take those quarterbacks away. And certainly there are talented guys behind them, but you're going to have a drop off from a guy who's a 100 rated player or a 99, 98 in Mac Jones's uh, case to a guy in the you know mid to upper eighties. And, and it doesn't sound like a big drop off, but it gives a chance for a team like Miami who has that 100 rated player in De'Aaron King an opportunity to, to close the gap. And so I, I think that Miami will be a, you know, they will be a challenger, a, a, a you know, ACC title contender, uh, even more so than than we thought this year, if De'Aaron King is able to come back and, and be fully healthy and lead that team. But, uh, you know, because of the injury and because we don't to, at this moment know if it is something that's going to require surgery, if it's going to require, you know, six months or whatever of, of rehab, we don't know how that will affect 2021. But uh, I was really excited to hear that he planned on coming back because, uh, one, he's a, a really, really fun player to watch. Uh, and, and two, you know, has an opportunity to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football in 2021. I just hope he'll be healthy enough to, you know, for us to see him uh, at full speed and, and see Miami at full strength. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. King is uh, a huge part of this. Glad he's coming back. Uh, Sam is a bit of a question mark to me. I think he's going to be a late draft pick if he and and if he's drafted and. Um, I don't know if he'll get drafted if the shoulder injury is bad because he'll not be able to go to a lot of the things, the senior bowl, the com- the combine, all that good stuff. So uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Xavier, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I really like the fact that Derek King is going to have another year to come back. I think obviously now with the knee injury, there were speculations that the knee injury might be similar to what happened at Houston. I'm hoping that's not the case because obviously we knew how long that took for him to get back there. Um, but I think ultimately – you know, if he's able to be healthy going into next year, Miami has to be one of the favorites in the ACC right next to uh, North Carolina, who's going to lose some talent this year. But they obviously, you know, bring back Sam Howell, who's only uh, who will be a true junior next year. So, you know, outside of him, you really got to look at Miami as the only other competition, at least on paper as of right now. Obviously, Clemson being as talented as they are will be there, but we don't know the quarterback situation outside of uh, uh, Uyang Galele. I think I got it close. Close. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. You know, they, they obviously there, but, you know, with a freshman quarterback, as we saw with a team like Oklahoma, even with all that talent, the quarterback position is going to be somewhat of a concern. Uh, so they'll definitely be one of those top three teams to compete. I just hope he's healthy enough to come back. Uh, I really like the guy. I think one more year in that system, uh, allowing him to show off his arm talent is exactly what he needs to be, you know, a, a first day, maybe a second uh, second round, third round draft pick going into next year. Uh, so I really would like to see him come back, and I'm hoping he comes back 100%. Uh, for Sam Ellinger, he needs to come back. There's not a question. Unless he wants to be Jake Fromm and get drafted by a playoff team and sit on the bench behind the quarterback, he has to come back. Yes, the shoulder injury obviously is going to probably make him lean towards coming back uh, for another year. But even if not, he probably was somewhere in the range of a fourth, fifth rounder, a guy you take uh, because he's a good character kid and he's got some type of talent that, you know, saying you can use him in your practice squad uh, at the very least. So I think that he has to come back. I think that's a good thing for Texas as well as going into next year. I thought if they lost Sam Ellinger, they were going to – I don't – obviously, I don't know the, the the quarterback situation at Texas as of right now. But I think having Sam Ellinger back, if he's 100%, gives me more of an earnest to put them as one of the top two teams in the conference is if they did it. Because obviously, you know, you've got teams like Iowa State losing Brock Purdy, Spencer Rattler's second year, so Oklahoma is, is supposed to be better. Um, and, and I'm expecting Texas – I was expecting Texas to take a, a dip if Sam Ellinger didn't come back. If he does and he's 100% and that shoulder is completely healed, they should, they're going to be right there around the com- competition for the team, the best team in that conference again. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I think he comes back, especially I think the injury and him most likely not being able to do combine stuff and, and that and all of that. Uh, if he needs surgery or whatever, it is going to be the ter- the determining factor. But we'll yeah, see. Absolutely. Uh, we had a couple of awards announced as well, fellas. Uh, wide receiver, uh, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith won the Associated Press Player of the Year and is the current betting favorite to win the Heisman. Alabama OC Steve Sarkeesian won the Broyles Award given to the top assistant uh, coach in the nation every single year. And we also got some news today that uh, Clemson OC Tony Elliott uh, who uh, got a little bit of buzz in the head coaching, uh, you know, uh, hires this year is going to miss the Ohio State game due to COVID protocols. So, uh, oh. Nick, your thoughts on the award and uh, the Clemson OC not being able to uh, participate here? I was going to say the Coastal Carolina coach won Coach of the Year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, yep. Yeah. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. 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 Good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, Devontae Smith uh, really scored a, you know, uh, surge toward the uh, Heisman Trophy favorite here toward the, the just the last few weeks. He's been incredible all year, but, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of folks out there uh, for most of the season didn't really give he or, or really anybody who's not a quarterback much of a, uh, a chance, but he's uh, finished so strong and been so consistent. Good to see would be the first Heisman winner uh, at the wide receiver position since Desmond Howard in 1991. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that would be, you know, pretty pretty exciting to see. And and Steve Sarkeesian, I think, absolutely deserves it. That offense has been absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, w- we saw arguably the greatest offense of all time last year at, at LSU. Right. But if you look at the numbers, Alabama last year was basically the second best offense uh, in history, and, and they have not seen a drop off at all. And to do that with changeover of the quarterback position, with Jalen Waddle getting hurt, uh, they're pretty thin at, at wide receiver, really, because of Waddle's hurt, because they lost so much talent last year, yep. and and that's a position they they have traditionally recruited very very well, and in 2021 have a lot of talent coming in there. But this was a little bit of a, a gap year where there just isn't the the long deep bench of of you know uh, prolific. Uh, wide receiver talent and and Devontae Smith has, has taken on such a huge uh, role and and has been a focal point of the offense and you know teams just haven't been able to stop him he's he's been really really incredible uh, tell you know Tony Elliott hopefully he will uh, be able to to get back healthy soon it, it sounds like if all goes well he will be back in time for the national championship game if Clemson does make it there so uh, I'm sure very very disappointing for him and I know Clemson will miss him. Uh, on game day is the play caller there on offense, but I'm sure that they have a, a solid system in place. I'm sure that it sounds like Brandon Streeter will call the plays, uh, you know, during that game. Probably won't see much of a hiccup, just a little bit of a different uh, voice in, in, you know, who who's in charge on uh, just some of the nuts and bolts of, of play calling and, and things like that. So I'm sure that things will fall into a ry- rhythm relatively quickly. We haven't seen, uh, you know, much, at least to, to my eye, you know, much of a, a major, major impact when even a head coach has, you know, not been able to play or not been able to, to be on the sidelines or in the, uh, you know, for, for a game this year, I, sh- I imagine the same will be, uh, said for OCs and, and DCs and, and this situation specifically. So Clemson probably won't see a, a huge drop-off or any major change because of this, but 
very disappointing, you know, of course, that he won't be able to be there and, and it will have an impact. Just not sure it'll be a, a huge one. Uh, your thoughts on, uh, you know, the awards going out here, Xavier and uh, Tony Elliott not being able to be there. Yeah, I'm going to sound a little weird here. I think that Kyle Trask lost this award. I think that when they lost to LSU, I think Kyle Trask had earned the right to be to be thought of as one of the best, if not the best player in college football this year. I think after they lost to LSU, he lost it. Um, and I think Devontae Smith has done nothing to lose the award all year. I mean, he's played excellent against any team. Don't matter. It doesn't matter what how great the secondary is, how great the defense is. He's torched everybody he's played against. And it'll be fun to see another receiver possibly win the Heisman. Um, they compared his stats to Desmond Howard's, and he's just exploded. I mean, he's completely torn them out of the water. So it wouldn't be surprising if he won the award. And what I want, I would say, is it a down year? But we don't have the same amount of sample size for some of the bigger guys that we may have had in the past. Trevor Lawrence obviously sitting out a game. Uh, Justin Fields only playing six games total. These are some of the guys that he would have competed with normally that I don't think he was allowed to compete with this year because they not had the same sample size. Uh, as far as Steve Sarkeesian winning the winning the Broyles Award, I mean, hey, it's another Alabama OC. They 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 put him out like machines, you know, from from yeah. Kiffin to him. Once Sarkeesian finally leaves and goes and coaches like I don't know Missouri in like two years, he'll go, you know, and they'll put out another one. So it wouldn't be surprised, you know, well-deserved, but not surprising. Um, as far as Tony Elliott is concerned, this is a draft. This is a draft scout's dream to watch Trevor Lawrence play in a big game without his OC. This, I mean, this is, I guarantee you, if Trevor Lawrence goes out and has a great game versus Ohio State, they will talk about this game for the next three months and the fact that he had this amazing ball game. He didn't even have this offensive coordinator there. This is him. This is why he's the best prospect in the NFL since Dan Marino. Just wait for it. I, I promise this will be their calling card if he has a great game. And if he doesn't have a great game, it'll be because uh, – A guy can't even play without this OC. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So – so it's a uh, so it's unfortunate. I mean, are you sure you're not a writer? I mean, come on. You know, this is. I am uh, a journalist. Yeah, this, is this, is, this is the easy stuff right here. You know, you, you just pick a headline either way. Well, I'm gonna get something out of this. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. but yeah, so they're gonna miss Tony Elliott. But I, I think you're absolutely right, Nick. They're they're gonna have a plan in place. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm gonna sound like a I'm gonna sound like a draft scout when you got have a guy like Trevor Lawrence. You, I mean, who knows what you really need there? He seems like he could call the plays and make all the audibles, anyways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about some of the bowls that are coming up here, guys. And uh, I, I'm I'm going to save the the playoff games for last. Here, we'll talk about those last. But let's go through some of the you know uh, I'll throw up air quotes the smaller bowls. I mean, it's not smaller if your favorite team is in it, but these aren't going to get uh, uh, as nationally recognized as the playoff games, of course. And we'll start with a couple here. We have the Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, Tulsa's a two-and-a-half-point uh, favorite, 46 the over against Mississippi State. Uh, Ball State versus San Jose State, where San Jose State is a nine-and-a-half favorite, and 63 is the over in that game. The Army Bowl, uh, which is Army versus West Virginia. West Virginia, or the excuse me, the Army Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, uh, which is West Virginia versus Army. And um, Tennessee was the original team in that, and the Army replaced them. Uh, West Virginia, a seven-point favorite, only 41 as the over on that. And then in the Gator Bowl, uh, NC State versus Kentucky. Kentucky is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Fifty-and-a-half is the over in that one. So your thoughts on uh, any of these games, Nick? Well, so uh, in, in some of these, our projections are a little bit all over the place. And, and I will say that our uh, talent edge model has been – 
been just absolutely brutal to this point and we're like two and 11 or something in that that particular model so fortunately uh the other ones are or, or you know we have a, a, an emphasis on our official model uh because that one's not been not been so good so uh there are a few cases in these games where our talent edge model just you know spits out something completely different than our official projection model and also our stats only model which has been uh just as good if not a, a few games better than our official model all year this year and and the Tulsa Mississippi State game is one and, and uh we've got Tulsa uh in our stats only model favored by about three and a half in our official projection it, it was closer to a touchdown and, and that when we released these uh, last week to our patrons, um, you know, we didn't know that All-American linebacker, I believe Buckus Award winner, uh, Zayvon Collins was going to be out, had already declared for the NFL draft. So Tulsa will be a little bit shorthanded. Uh, Mississippi State has been shorthanded for a lot of the season. Uh, they played their last few games with, you know, 50, 40 something scholarship players. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily going to be a major talent gap, but our talent only model or our talent edge model uh, would have Mississippi state favored by almost double digits. If this were, uh, you know, if talent were the only factor here. So uh, Tulsa is better than what the talent numbers would suggest. Mississippi state is probably a little bit uh, weaker than what those numbers would suggest. We do have, you know, Tulsa winning this game, even with Collins out the number, uh, you know, it comes down a little bit, but, uh, still, you know, to, to cover the two and a half relatively easily. But our official uh, projection was 32-26 for, uh, you know, in favor of, of Mississippi State. The Ball State-San Jose State game is, is a, you know, relatively interesting one, I think. These teams are, are very evenly matched as far as talent goes. We would have San Jose State favored by only half a point in our talent edge model. Uh, the stats only model, you know, has it uh, opening. Uh, actually, that's the, the weird projection. We actually have Ball State favored in this game. Oh, wow. Uh, in our stats only model, which is, yeah, it was a bit surprising. And, and San Jose State has looked great this year, undefeated, Mountain West champs, uh, all of that. But, um, you know, the, the last few years have not, you know, ha have not looked like that. So when we're, where our stats only model takes our uh, team's performance over the last five years and weights it uh, so that the most recent years count most uh, for both the team itself, for the head coach, for the play callers on both sides of the ball. And it, you know, form, you know, puts all of those into a formula and, and spits it out. And Ball State's just been a little bit better based on that sort of uh, combination of factors. And Ball State's, you know, a conference champ themselves. Beat Buffalo, yeah. who was the top 25 team in our power ranking. So uh, there, you know, should be a, a pretty interesting matchup there. But uh, the, our, our projected point spread uh, again, you know, kind of completely shifts where we have San Jose State favored by almost eight. And when we officially announced this, the number was eight. So we were still on Ball State plus eight. It's up to nine and a half now, as you mentioned. So we're, we're you know, feeling pretty good, I think, on, on being on Ball State side. But San Jose State, you know, maybe our numbers are, are not quite catching up a little bit. Uh, not quite yet to, to how good that they actually really have been, you know, with Nick Starkle, guys like Tyler Nevins, Bailey Gaither, uh, they're on offense. They've been really, really good. So uh, that one's intriguing. We're on Ball State. 
and the numbers starting to move away from us. Not always a great sign, but uh, we see a decent edge there on, on Ball State. West Virginian Army, very, very similar, just all over the place as far as our projections go. I don't love it when that happens, uh, but this time of year, it, it tends to happen a little bit more. Stats only model, we've got Army favorite by seven, and, and that's just they've been a more consistent program uh, week to week and, and year to year so far. And, and uh, so I'm not completely surprised by that. On the other hand, if talent's the only thing we're looking at, we would expect West Virginia to be about a three-touchdown favorite. That's not really a surprise either. Army basically is all two-star players, and, and uh, they just rely you know, really heavily on, on uh, schematics to be able to, to uh, shorten the game and, and kind of negate that talent advantage. So talent edge is, is really not that great when we're looking at service academies or triple option teams. But again, looking at the, the overall projection, uh, we've got West Virginia by double digits, so 10 and a half. Uh, that one, 30 to 20 would be our uh, official projection there. That seems a little little high scoring for a game that the, the total is 43 and a half and, and totals have not been good for us so far this year. But uh, we do have West Virginia covering and, and relatively easy. I don't have a ton of confidence in that one, actually. But uh, NC State, Kentucky, that's one kind of a somewhat similar to the Miami Oklahoma state game. Uh, we think the wrong team is favored and it didn't work out for us. Of course. (laughs) Didn't work out for us in, uh, in that one, but, and you know, NC state is not as strong as their record might look at, at first glance. They are, they are not a perfect team by any stretch. They've, they've got, uh, some, some weak spots. I mean, they rank, 54th in team performance overall, 56th on offense, 54th on defense, and, and they're barely hanging on the top 40 in our overall power rankings. But, you know, Kentucky, who's at 48 in our power rankings, has been 69th overall in team performance, 84th on offense, 47th on defense. So, uh, you know, NC State has been the better team on the field. They, you know, talent numbers are, are not that different. Kentucky is uh, basically a top 30 team. In roster strength, they're 31st uh, exactly, but, you know, NC State's 36th, and NC State will be a little bit shorthanded. Aline Mitchell or uh, McNeil, their uh, All-American defensive tackle, I, I know he declared for the draft. I'm, I didn't see it, I think, in black and white that he was not going to play in this game, but that seems to be the case uh, for just about everybody who's who's made that declaration so they will they will miss him and and he's not part of our uh projection here but we've got we've got nc state winning it outright so uh officially we've got just a one point game nc state favored by just over a point kentucky does have uh you know would be favored in talent edge by about half a point and they would be favored by about half a point in our stats only model but all those uh fall on the side of of nc state uh, for this one. And, and when all three agree, that's been really good for us all year. Uh, and so far in bowls, we are one, two, three, uh, three and three. So so we're looking to, to pull ahead, I guess, on that one. Uh, but with Ball State, it's all three agree. And, and with uh, uh, NC State, all three agree. And, and that one, we actually think the numbers think at least that the wrong team uh, is favored there. Uh, all right, Xavier, how about you? I mean, uh, Tulsa's got the pimp hats that I hope come out here uh ball state uh looking pretty good in in nick's eyes here west virginia uh, a heavy favorite against army 
and then wrong team favorite NC State versus uh, Kentucky in the Gator Bowl. So how do you feel about these games? Yeah, for for the Tulsa versus Mississippi State game, I love Tulsa in this matchup. I think that, you know, when we come to Tulsa, there's a team that I feel like maybe for the numbers don't add up because they don't play well for like two and a half quarters quarters they they play well they play really great second halves they play really really great fourth quarters and i think when you you throw that into the numbers i think that they can skew obviously the performances of the team do they have an overall great performance typically no but does tulsa somehow find ways to win typically yes i mean i think that that continues against mississippi state i think they're gonna have the opportunity in this game to probably win wire to wire for the first time in probably like six weeks uh which would be you know impressive for this tulsa team uh, this would be the first first bowl win since 2016 so the last time that they were a bowl winner, we had a different president. Uh, but that, that would be great for them. Uh, and I think that that's what's going to happen. I think they'll finish off the year. Uh, and, and what has been kind of a weird, like I said, it's been a weird year, weird year for Tulsa that we think that they would probably be in this position record-wise at the beginning of the year. Absolutely not. But here they are. And I think they beat Mississippi State. I will look at Ball State versus San Jose State. I think Nick's absolutely right. I think San Jose State's numbers, I think the numbers haven't caught up with them yet. Uh, I think, obviously, when you look at the conference, I think the conference may have been on a downturn a little bit this year. Boise State wasn't as good as we t- as they typically are. And I think San Jose State probably caught a lot of people. They definitely caught me by surprise uh, being undefeated at, 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 by this point. I really like San Jose State to continue that run uh, and, to, and to win over Ball State. Uh, when we look at West Virginia versus Army, I want to pick Army. I really do. I think that when when you don't have a lot of time to prepare for Army, which West Virginia has not, it's not easy to play Army. I, you know, I think they're going to control the clock. They're going to force West Virginia into some stupid turnovers, and they're going to win the ball game just simply based off of time of possession and making sure that they don't turn the ball over. Um, I think that they're built for for bowl games. So I think that that's what I think that when they can catch an opponent by surprise with their triple option, uh, with the defense that they run, I think they're going to catch West Virginia by surprise. I don't think West Virginia is prepared for it. They may be the more talented ball club, but I really like Army in this game. And uh, as much as I love Kentucky and I would love to see Kentucky win for everything Nick has said about Kentucky all year and them not be <laughs> enough, I think NC State wins this game. They really uh, hopped on my radar after barely losing to Miami about three weeks ago. I think NC State has been a team that has been right on the cusp of winning some of those big games this year. And I think they go ahead and beat a Kentucky team that's battered and bruised up. I don't think that Kentucky wins this game. And I think Kentucky, like I said, I would love for Kentucky to win because it would just it would just crack on everything Nick has said about this ball club all year long. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you can But now, 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 past performance is not always – or is not an indicator of future results. I always say that. <laughs> but I've had a pretty good read on Kentucky this year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have. Uh, <laughs> I can't disagree with that, but I'm going to go with NC State here to pull out the way I think Nick's right. favorite. <laughs> Um, all right. So now we, we get it. We move into, uh, you know, we'll just call it bigger bowl games with, uh, bigger teams, bigger name bowl games. We start out with the peach bowl, Georgia seven point favorite against Cincinnati. This should be a fun one, Nick. Yeah, it's uh, a really, I mean, it's, it's teams that play, uh, somewhat, somewhat similar style. I mean, lean on defense, uh, uh, you know, two, two very, very good defenses. Cincinnati is our third-ranked defense as far as uh, team performance goes in the country. That's helped them, you know, overall. They, they put up uh, the fifth-best team performance rating of, of any team in the country. There's not a whole lot of, you know, strength of schedule as far as that goes. So perhaps that's a, a tiny bit inflated, but they've, you know, they, they've played at a level that, uh, you know, makes them a legitimate playoff contender. So Cincinnati is certainly 
uh, a, a worthy opponent here. Now, Georgia is uh, a top 10 team as far as team performance goes. They're ninth overall. They're 11th on defense. But, you know, we we talk, of course, about uh, the talent. And, and Georgia is one of the most talented teams in the country, even with all the, the players that are expected to miss this game. Georgia is a top five team as far as our uh, roster strength rating goes. They are a top five team as far as our defensive roster strength rating goes. And, and they're knocking on the door. They're sixth overall uh, offensively. So there's there's really uh, no you know easy spot in the lineup when you're when you're looking at Georgia from position uh, by position. And, and JT Daniels at quarterback has really kind of uh, helped this team come together down the stretch. And and we talked a little bit last week about how I'm going to be so in love with Oklahoma uh, leading up to next year. We talked about just a little bit ago that Miami, I think is, is a team that's, you know, top 10 caliber on paper and, and was trying to sort of get the, the, the pecking order in my mind of how I think the numbers will go. I have not looked ahead yet. I have not created, you know, the new sheet and started to update uh, experience ratings and how that all uh, works out yet that's a uh, uh, you know that'll be january february but i i think that the short list of teams that'll be number one it depends on what mac jones does if mac jones is is back then alabama is probably going to be able to hold on because that defense is going to get better uh even as they're going to lose a lot of guys on offense clemson might be in the mix though i think they're probably i think they're probably going to drop a little bit because they're losing Lawrence and Etienne. Both of those guys are 180 players. And uh, similar, they'll you know have a strong defense. But I, I think there is a legitimate shot that Oklahoma could get up to number one. But I think right now, if I were to, to place a bet on who's going to end up uh, number one in the preseason, I might pick Georgia. If, if JT Daniels comes back, this is a preseason number one type team because George Pickens will be back. Uh, depends on what happens at the running back position, but they've got talent just – Everywhere there, the offensive line is going to be, uh, you know, a little bit more experienced. They, uh, you know, linebackers, they've been so deep, even though they're going to be without Monty Rice uh, this week. And, and uh, you know, Jermaine Johnson transferred, so the depth maybe is a little bit uh, lighter there. But, you know, there, there's talent just all over the field, and, and they will lose some guys to the NFL draft, there are three guys sitting out this game, Ben Cleveland, the right guard, Eric Stokes, the corner, uh, Richard LeCount, you know, we haven't seen him in a few weeks because of injury. And, and you know, there's there's hope that he will play in this game, but I would expect that he will be all gone to the NFL as well. But if JT Daniels returns, and that's not 100%, Georgia's a, a you know, preseason number one type team looking ahead at, at 2021. So, you know, the talent is, is absolutely there, but – you know, how do they match up against Cincinnati, who's been playing at a top five level this year? And and uh, so the talent doesn't quite match up, but the gap is not huge. Cincinnati is one of the most talented G5 teams in the country. They are, you know, absolutely a, a uh, top 25 team as far as roster strength goes. They're 23rd in the country. That's 30th on offense and 20th on defense. So it's not like you know, this is just a, a random G5 team or a, a G5 team that uh, isn't, you know, just sort of got a, a, a token invitation to a New Year's Six Bowl. Cincinnati's good. And though the talent edge model does have Georgia as a heavy, heavy favorite, as it was almost a 20-point favorite, the stats-only model 
has it at basically one and a half points. So it's, you know, completely, completely different. Uh, so that's, that's a, a huge, huge gap. And then our official projection, because our numbers do think pretty highly of Luke Fickle since he's head coach. Uh, of course, the team performance numbers go in there and, and all of that. They do have Desmond Ritter, who's been really, really good at the quarterback position. Jared Dokes has been good at running back. Uh, Maje Sanders and Ahmad Gardner, two of the best defensive players in all of college football, defensive line and, and uh, defensive back, respectively. So, you know, Cincinnati's got what it takes to keep this close, I think. I, I think we're on the right side here. Our, our official projection is uh, Georgia by about five and a half. So, you know, we officially had it at, at Georgia, uh, or excuse me, Cincinnati plus seven. And, and uh, you know, that's where it's held at least last check. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm happy to be on the side of Cincinnati. They could win this game. Uh, this is the type of game that, you know, a – a uh, SEC program maybe doesn't show up for. I don't believe in trying to project those type of things. You, motivation absolutely is a factor, but I don't. I don't think you can. Uh, you know, infer. Yeah. I don't think you can infer one way or the other how it's going to play out. Uh, so I'd, I'd stay away from that. But I could certainly see a scenario where Georgia doesn't show up for this game and Cincinnati does, and Cincinnati picks up a big win. But you know, I, I think Georgia could win this or should win this game, obviously. Uh, but it could be, you know, a field goal or, or within a touchdown. So I think we're on the right side with Cincinnati because Georgia is going to be uh, pretty, pretty shorthanded. Uh, but, yeah, it, it should be a good game. And, and you know, Cincinnati is a, a really, really good team. And, and this uh, is a, a great opportunity for them uh, to, to show out on national television. Big, you know, big, big audience. Uh, so looking forward to that one for sure. Xavier, your thoughts on the Peach Bowl here? Yeah, I genuinely think if we if this game had have been three weeks ago, I'd pick Cincinnati. You know, before obviously JT Daniels got to rolling and that offense kind of started clicking at least down the field, I'd actually I'd actually pick Cincinnati to win this ball game. I just think that with the way JT Daniels is running right now, he's running hot, and so is that offense. I think that this game is Georgia's game to lose. Um, yes, they're going to be missing a lot of talent on the defensive end because of hopped outs. Uh, obviously, you also said Ben Cleveland. There's video of Richard LeCount practicing, so I don't know if he's playing or not, uh, but there's him practicing at full speed. Georgia Twitter kind of went crazy. Uh, Georgia, uh, their athletic program, put out a video specifically showing him catching a pick in practice and running it back. So, you know, you know, I don't know if he's playing. I don't know if that's an indication. Uh, but when talked about it, Richard LeCount kind of just told everybody to kind of calm down and was like, shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, but uh, so he may play. He may not. But to stop Richard LeCount from playing, I don't think that'll happen if he's available to go. Uh, but I think Georgia's offense really is going to what shot is going to be what shines in this game. I don't think Cincinnati, from a from upfront standpoint, has seen an offense this good, uh, and that's the biggest thing that I think Cincinnati will struggle with is stopping the run game. I think they're going to have to pick their poison. Are they going to let JT Daniels throw the football? Are they going to let Zimmer White, uh, Zimmer White, excuse me, run for 150 yards? And I don't know if you know which poison that they'll be. Able allowed to choose in this ball game because I think both of them are running hot right now and I don't think that Cincinnati has the answers defensively to stop Georgia consistently throughout this ball game uh, from the opposite view I think Georgia uh, the concern for me if I'm a Georgia fan is on the outside Eric Stokes is sitting out uh, who knows if Tyson Campbell plays in this game uh, he's a guy who has who's on the fence about sitting out I haven't heard of whether or not he's going to do it or not yet obviously we talked about Richard LeCount not playing 
We saw what happened earlier this year where the secondary was depleted, what a Florida team was able to do, especially out the backfield and especially with a mobile quarterback. And that is what Cincinnati has been good at, Desmond Ritter getting out the pocket and making plays happen. And the one thing when it comes to young guys, when plays break down or they last too long, that's when you start getting gaps. That's when people start to break free. And that's where Cincinnati could capitalize in this ballgame. I've got Georgia winning by 14 points, but don't be surprised if Cincinnati has this game very close going into the fourth quarter. Uh, the next two bowl games here, I, I I find them interesting because it's two Big Ten teams favored over SEC teams. And the Citrus Bowl has Northwestern as a three-and-a-half point favorite. 43-and-a-half is the over in that game. And Indiana is an eight-point favorite uh, The uh, uh, versus Ole Miss in the Outback Bowl. 66 is the over in that. So Northwest versus Auburn in the Citrus Bowl, Ole Miss versus Indiana in the Outback Bowl. Nick, what do you think about those two? So these two are two of our, at least as far as our numbers go, the biggest edges that we've got, two of them. And uh, we are absolutely all over Auburn on, on this game. This is a game that we actually, our numbers think that Auburn should be favored to win. Northwestern obviously is uh, you know, playing playing really well. Had a, a great bounce back season. They made Justin Fields look worse than he's looked in any game in his collegiate career last week. Uh, they're playing, you know, top fifteen type defense, and they've got some pieces on on offense. Peyton Ramsey has certainly solidified the quarterback position for them. Cam Porter, the true freshman running back, has uh, you know solidified that position as well as emerged as. <clears throat> pardon me, uh, the go-to guy there. So, you know, they, they've got weapons, but uh, Auburn is just absolutely more talented across the board at every position. And, and we do these matchup graphics uh, that we release to our patrons when we do our official projections, and it goes position by position, who has the edge and, and what the numbers are. And Auburn is, you know, top 35 at quarterback, top 20 running back, top 15 receiver, top 25 offensive line, top 20 defensive line, top, you know, their seventh at linebacker and top 30 uh, at the, in the secondary. And the best unit that Northwestern has is linebacker. And, and that's top 10. Everything else is outside of the top 30. So just when you combine all of those things, Auburn's got such, uh, you know, a talent edge. And yes, they've, you know, recently fired their head coach. That's not necessarily a great thing. Yes, they've got uh, some guys who have opted out, including, uh, you know, the, the uh, fastest man in college football, we think, Anthony Schwartz, and, and a couple of guys in the secondary. It uh, looks like Christian Tut's not going to play. It looks like uh, Jamie and Sherwood is, is going to be out, uh, you know, entering the NFL draft. So, Again, motivation certainly a factor. All the the off the field stuff certainly a factor. What's going on with you know the new head coach and, and all of that. Uh, but this game is somewhat similar to what I said about Texas and and Colorado, and, and uh, we just didn't see Colorado being a very good team. And yeah, Texas was going to be shorthanded, but the way the talent profile just sort of step, you know, the way you stack it up against the opponent is just so much of a, a mismatch. Uh, and that, you know, that game worked out. It, it, the, the Oklahoma State Miami didn't work out. So that similar to, you know, Kentucky NC State. This one we see similar to Texas and Colorado. So, you know, again, just because it happened that way last time doesn't mean it will this time. I, I'm not personally loading up on 
uh, Auburn this week, even though I do see it as a, a you know pretty big edge in our favor. Uh, but funny things happen in bowl games, so it certainly could play out the other way. And Northwestern does have a history of, of playing above uh, its talent profile anyway. So I could see a ton of scenarios the way this game could play out. Absolutely, Northwestern could win. Absolutely, Northwestern could win by a couple of scores. But the way all of our numbers uh, work out, Auburn is is a, a you know pretty big favorite, or much bigger gap here in this than almost any other game. We've got Auburn favored by six and a half officially. Our talent model has Auburn favored by almost two touchdowns. And our stats only model has Auburn favored by a field goal. So not only do we think the wrong team is favored officially, we think the wrong team is favored in all three. And, and I don't think that's happened in any game all season where we've had that situation where all three not only agreed, but all three projection models thought that the wrong team was favored. So uh, that that's a pretty interesting matchup. That, 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 to me, I'll be very interested in uh, because we see it so, so different than what the odds makers and, and what the market uh, sees. And, and uh, in the, the next one, Ole Miss and Indiana, it's a little bit it's, – it's somewhat similar. Our numbers do respect Indiana. We've got Indiana as a top 25 team, and uh, the way we do our individual player ratings, you know, they've been able to add – uh, some production points over the course of the years. Guys like Stevie Scott are, you know, in the 90s as far as our player ratings go. Walt Fillier is in the 90s. Ty Freifogel, uh, the other wide receiver, is, is uh, you know, inching in, in that direction. So Indiana's got some talent, especially on offense. Uh, and then they've been playing really, really well defensively as far as, uh, you know, the on-field team performance numbers go. They're playing at a top 30 level on defense. Uh, they're only 68th on offense, but they're playing at a top 40 level overall. So Indiana is a, a good team, obviously. I mean, they, they gave Ohio State trouble uh, and, and then they won the rest of their games. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss is a pretty talented team. I mean, Ole Miss ranks uh, in the top 25 in overall roster strength, 15th on offense, and that's even without – uh, uh, more, you know, Elijah Moore is not going to play in this game. And, and, uh, you know, all American receiver came out. He was a first team all American, uh, just, uh, earlier today, Jerry on Ely, the, the former five-star sophomore running back is a little bit banged up. We don't know if he will play and if he will, if he'll be at full strength, but we've taken all those numbers into account and we still think that Indiana is uh, a little bit overpriced here. It, it, uh, it was six and a half officially when we released it last week. It's all the way up to eight now. So we've actually, you know, again, it's moving away from us, but I, I think it's moving in the wrong direction because uh, Ole Miss is the more talented team. You know, that, that model has not been great in bowl season, but, you know, when we do have a pretty good track record when we think that the, the underdog is actually the more talented team. Uh, and then all three of our, Projection models line up. The stats only model has Indiana by uh, almost six, but not quite. And then the official projection is Indiana 33, Ole Miss 29, something in that range. So, you know, four, four and a half. So we, we see some, uh, you know, see some uh, value on, on Ole Miss in this game. They're, you know, kind of a mediocre record coming in, not really uh, playing at an elite, elite level. And certainly on defense. I mean, they rank 123rd in defensive team performance, but Top 15 offense, Matt Carell has been 
when he's good, he's really, really good. Certainly when he's bad, he can throw a lot of interceptions in bunches. But uh, we think Ole Miss has, has got talent at the receiver position, at the running back position, to make up for some guys who might not be there. Uh, the defense is more talented than it is uh, you know, performing well on the field. But there's an opportunity perhaps for them to, to take some steps in the right direction maybe. You know, sometimes that happens in, in a, a bowl season, and Indiana does you know, slow it down a little bit. So sometimes they, they can potentially uh, limit their own offensive capability. So uh, we, we think that Ole Miss can certainly, or at least the numbers, think that Ole Miss can, can keep it close. Uh, and I, I think we're on the right side there. It certainly might not play out that way, but uh, I like getting more than a touchdown right now and, and think that Ole Miss can keep it within one score. Uh, Xavier, what do you think? I mean, like Nick said, it's kind of surprising seeing two SEC dogs against uh, Big Ten teams. And I know conferences and everything, and that's obviously why Northwestern and Indiana are favored, but it was surprising to see both of these teams uh, not favored, either Auburn or Ole Miss, in their bowl game. Quick tidbit, James Cook's going to miss the Peach Bowl. Just stood out there. Uh, their father died today. Oh, so man. Both James Cook and Dalvin Cook are both going to miss their next games. So yes, just a quick tidbit, really quickly. Uh, he wishes, you know, prayers to his family, obviously. Uh, but to get to the games, I really like Northwestern, and it's for all the reasons Nick said. Uh, I don't, I don't like Auburn as far as how they've looked against top tier defenses in this year. You know that they've struggled so bad against, and we don't even have to go against top tier defenses. They've struggled against teams like South Carolina. This year, they struck against you know they they struggled against Mississippi State earlier this year, Texas A and M, uh, even Tennessee to an extent before being able to pull away in that game. But you know Northwestern is probably outside of Ohio State has been or outside of maybe Ohio State of Wisconsin has been the best defense in the Big Ten, and I think that they're running into a buzzsaw. Uh, Auburn is, and I think Northwestern is going to have multiple opportunities to win this ball game and, and to uh, win it handedly. You know, I think Auburn talent-wise is the more talented team. But I think, once again, Nick, your talent model is going to let you down here. I don't think Auburn's winning that ball game at all. I think Northwestern's defense gets uh, gets the job done. And I really think Bo Nix is going to be seeing ghosts throughout most of this ball game, especially with that Northwestern secondary. Um, with I can't remember his name, but he had the the amazing one-handed, uh, one-handed interception in the uh, Big Ten Championship game. Was that Newsom or was that uh, uh, the freshman? That's all I can remember. Joseph, yes. Brandon Joseph. I, I think he's, yeah, he's, he's going to have a, a coming out party. If he didn't already have it in the Big Ten Championship game with that catch, he's going to pick off Bo Nix one or two times. Uh, he's going, And I think he, they're going to put him right on top of Seth Williams. And I think Seth Williams, as he has against most corners this year who play bump and run coverage, struggle. Uh, when we move on to Ole Miss versus Indiana, once again, I like, I like the Big Ten team. I'm going against my bias here. Ole Miss is going to put up points. That's what they do. They, they put up points regardless come hella high water. They're going to put up at least 30. I just don't think that they'll have enough in the tank to be the Indiana team that defensively has been better than what people give them credit for and offensively can probably play with, you know, anybody outside of the top seven teams in the country. I think they can play with all of them. Uh, and we saw that against Ohio State. They were able to put 35 points against a team that's going to be playing in the playoff, you know, in, in a little under a couple of days. So I really I, – I do think – that Northwestern gets the uh, gets the job done against all. Uh, no, sorry, sorry. The Indiana gets the job done against Ole Miss. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it'll be a shootout in the first half. Indiana will go into the locker room, create the the proper adjustments, and they'll go ahead and properly handle Ole Miss in the second half. Uh, which with Indiana pulling away, which is what I think will happen. I mean, that, Real, that go ahead, go ahead. Real quick, one thing I, I just uh, re refresh my memory as I was 
looking at the injury reports uh, section of our FBS team profiles, Northwestern lost about a half a dozen guys to the transfer portal since uh, their last game, including a couple of starters, one on each side of the ball. Craig News, Greg Newsom, who's uh, all ten, you know, all Big Ten type corner, uh, is going to be out already, declared for the NFL draft. So uh, there, you know, there there are some similar, maybe uh, outside storylines at Northwestern to what's going on at Auburn. You know, they're not at full strength either. So I, I failed to mention that earlier, but, you know, guys like uh, Kyrick McGowan in the in the transfer portal. Uh, defensive end uh, Iku Liotas had a, a really strong season, went into the, the transfer portal, and, and guys who've been uh, starters before, Isaiah Bowser, running back, who, who kind of, you know, lost his job, but uh, some some talented and, and experienced guys. So it, it, everything maybe is, is not – a hundred percent, you know, full steam ahead there at Northwestern either. But, but uh, I, I get it. It's, I don't like, I, I don't have much trust in Auburn, uh, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, th- this, these games are going to be fun to watch for sure, because, um, you know, I think the big 10 teams are better, but everybody knows the sec comes to play and, and they usually win. So it's going to be, uh, those are definitely going to be some fun games. Uh, but, but we got two more before we roll into the playoff games here. Oregon, uh, is who wasn't supposed to be in the Pac-12 championship, but won the Pac-12 championship, is playing against Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Iowa State is a four-point favorite. 57.5 is the over on that one. And Texas A&M is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against North Carolina in the Orange Bowl. So these are going to be some fun games too, Nick. What do you think about these two? Yeah, uh, the, you know, our numbers have really uh, liked Iowa State most of the year. I mean, they, they at first it seemed, of course, when they lost to Louisiana, seemed like we were uh, definitely a little, you know, too uh, what is it, too bullish on on Iowa State. But they played at a you know top twenty, top fifteen level all year after that point for the most part. And and right now, you know, even after losing. The, uh, their third game of the season in the, the Big 12 championship game, they're 10th in our power rankings. And, and for a team that recruits at, you know, a, a top 40 type 35 type level, uh, that's, that's showing that they've, they've really put together some impressive performances on the field. And, and, uh, you know, Iowa State ranks 14th in our overall team performance number. They're 18th on offense and 28th on defense. And, and, you know, Brock Purdy has, has been a little bit up and down this year. He is a junior. He is uh, eligible to move on. And I, I I think it would probably be best for him to, to come back. But, you know, put up a, a big game in a, a high-profile bowl against a talented opponent like Oregon. And, and maybe that's a little bit of a, a springboard. We know that Brees Hall uh, is expected to come back. He's just a sophomore. And he's been a top-10, you know, Heisman vote getter. So uh, Iowa State certainly has talent. They certainly have guys uh, who have, have played, you know, excellent, you know, have had had great careers. Linebacker Mike Rose is a first-team All-American uh, by The Athletic, I saw just, just the other day, and, and he was, I believe, Big 12 uh, Defensive Player of the Year. So they've got, they've got guys across the board. Uh, Oregon has got, you know, a lot of talent, but they've also uh, got some areas where they're really thin, and, and specifically the secondary. They had so many guys opt out in the preseason, and, and that unit has struggled a bit. I mean, they, they rank uh, barely in the top 50 in defensive team performance, and, and some of that is a, you know, weak and, and uh, pretty shallow 
secondary that that's been a little bit of an issue. Kayvon Thibodeau might be the best defensive player in, in college football. He's certainly going into 2021 is, is going to be in the, the very, very short list of that. And the stats weren't there early in the year, but uh, just, you know, watching how he impacts uh, an opponent is uh, very, very impressive. He's just a, a absolute menace. Uh, coming off the edge, Noah Sewell, one of the best true freshmen in college football this year, is is going to be a ton of fun to watch moving forward at linebacker. The offensive line certainly, you know, has been a work in progress. Very inexperienced unit coming in. Uh, they've had some injuries on offense. C.J. Verdell didn't play in the the Pac-12 championship game. Not sure what his situation is uh, coming into this game. And, and then you know they've they've had some uh, inexperience on on offense. New quarterback Tyler Shuck. They've had to rely on some new faces at, at receiver as well. So it, it was a little bit of a surprise when I noticed. Uh, you know, when when the numbers came out uh, and saw that all three aligned on Oregon plus four and a half, at least as far as what our, our uh, official number was. And, and it's it's four now. But uh, I was a little bit surprised by that because our numbers do really respect Iowa State. But the talent edge model gives it actually to Oregon as a five and a half point favorite. Our stats only model has Oregon favored by about a field goal. So, uh, you know, those thinking that the wrong team is favored there, uh, uh, definitely a surprise. But then our, our official projection has Iowa State favored, but has them favored uh, by right at four, four, 4.16 officially. So, you know, if we were to, to have to bet on it today, we would be on Iowa State minus the four. But officially, we're on Oregon, and I, I think that that's, you know, maybe the right spot to be. I, I know there are certainly some question marks, but they do seem to be rounding into form. They did look pretty good against USC, I thought, last week. And, and the talent really is there. They're, you know, both teams don't have the, the biggest uh, or, you know, the most depth, but they've got some really high-end, you know, guys that, that will be uh, stars moving forward, guys who are already stars for sure, and then, and then some guys who are going to be, you know, preseason All-Americans, Thibodeau, Sewell probably uh, for Oregon, Brees Hall for sure, Purdy maybe if he comes back. And, and so this will be a, a really, really fun game. Texas A&M and North Carolina, this, this is a, a bit of a weird one because North Carolina is going to look so different than, you know, what, what they – uh, looked like just in you know in their in their last game. This is one right after the the uh, matchups were announced. I saw uh, someone I follow on Twitter who's a, a coach, you know, a writer, really well respected. Immediately came out with the uh, oh, absolutely, you've got to be on North Carolina because Texas A and M, you know, finished fifth in the playoff race. Think they should be in. They're not going to show up for this game. Again, I don't. I don't buy into that sort of thinking regardless of what the situation is but the watch uh, adds up but but yeah you never know how a team is going to look when they show up yeah i I think we can't assume anything yeah but but then once you know and and i don't know what he would think right now uh but he said that before we knew that michael carter wasn't going to play javante williams wasn't going to play diami brown wasn't going to play chester rat wasn't going to play north carolina is going to look Totally, totally different. And uh, Xavier, you mentioned earlier that you know North Carolina will be certainly in the mix for the ACC title next year. And with Sam Howell, absolutely, uh, I, I get it. But 
they're going to lose a lot, you know, potentially. Uh, the offensive line, you would think, will be coming back. But playmakers, man, they're, they're going to be relying on some new faces next year. I would assume Daz Newsom's going to be gone. He's already a senior. You know, they've got they've recruited really, really well, but they're going to be pretty young. Uh, and then the defense has, has really struggled a lot. Uh, this year at times. I mean, they, they come in ranked 69th in defensive team performance, top 10 on offense. So they're, you know, 21st overall. Uh, they're a top 15 team in our overall power ranking. So we like North Carolina a lot, but man, they're going to be shorthanded uh, in, in this game. And, and who's going to step up? You know, the running back position, those guys are, the, are easily the best duo in the country, Michael Carter and, and Javante Williams, neither is going to be playing in this game. So who's going to get the carries? It's going to be Josh Henderson, you know, Elijah Green, a true freshman. DJ Jones has been, you know, banged up. He's a true freshman. It looks like he's not going to be able to play in this game. So they're going to be shorthanded there and, uh, you know, going to be working in some, some young receivers. So are they going to be able to, you know, be able to put up points uh, at a, a level that they're used to? But then also Texas A&M's, Pretty good defense. Uh, they they've played uh, pretty pretty well this year. It's been you know uh, just thirty second in our overall, uh, or excuse me, in our defensive team performance ratings. But I, I think that they're actually a little bit better than that number might suggest. So uh, you know they will be without Anthony Hines. It, it's uh, well he's been out all year, but uh, Miles Jones missed the last game. The the corner uh, with a foot injury. Don't don't know if he'll be able to get back. But you know they're they're for the most part, uh, not playing shorthanded, we don't think. We might hear something in the next day or two. But, you know, it sounds like Kellen Mond's going to be there. It sounds like Isaiah Spiller and, and Aeneas Smith, both those guys, uh, just sophomores, be coming back anyway. But, uh, you know, same with Jalen Wattemeyer. Offensive line that's been on the short list for the Joe Moore Awards. Got an All-American in uh, Kenyon Green at, at left guard. So, you know, I, I think that – I, I feel like, you know, when this was officially uh, released last week, we were on UNC plus six or excuse me, plus seven because we had uh, not we didn't know yet if Javante Williams was going to be out. But I, I think I'm on Texas A&M. Our, our talent model has Texas A&M favored by double digits. Stats only model disagrees. Has North Carolina actually favored to win outright by a point? Uh, this this line has shifted a, a little bit. As you mentioned, it, it's uh, seven and a half. I feel like that, you know, I feel like I would rather be on Texas A&M. We didn't change our, our projection. Uh, officially, we're still on uh, North Carolina plus the seven. But right now, as it stands, Texas A&M is an eight and a half point favorite in our official uh, projection model. So we're, we're sticking with what we released to our patrons last week. But we would we would change who we, you know, which side we would be on uh, if we were, were doing that today. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, but I think Texas A&M should, should win this by more than a touchdown. Uh, seven and a half is always, a, you know, kind of an annoying number. But uh, double-digit victory sounds about right to me uh, personally in that one. All right, Xavier, we got the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, like uh, Nick said, Iowa State favored. Uh, but Oregon looking strong, uh, Iowa State by four, and then Texas A&M and North Carolina in the Orange Bowl, where A&M is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. How do you see those ones playing out? Yeah, I think Oregon is a team that has come on strong towards the end of the year here. I think uh, the, the quarterback has gotten more confidence as the years progress. I still am concerned about that Oregon offense not having enough in the tank against Iowa State. I know that's funny to say because it's not like Iowa State is in a barn board 
burner by any means. Uh, but I do think that they're going to struggle in this game to, to to keep up with Iowa State, who I think is going to want to start faster than what they did in the Big 12 championship game. I think they're going to come out, and obviously I don't think this will be Brock Purdy's last game. I think this is Brees Hall's last performance. Look for Brees Hall to get an array of touches, and I think it's going to be best against best. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see you know, Iowa State's offensive line going to get up against Oregon's defensive line, which is obviously their best part of their defense as of right now. And Kayvon Thibodeau is going to have to have a really good game if they're going to stop Brees Hall. That he's going to have to set the edge. He's going to have to show a lot of people what you know that he's not just a pass rusher. Let's put it that way. And I don't know if, if Oregon has that kind of grit to play with Iowa State for four quarters. And I think Iowa State's going to wear them down. I do think uh, them being minus four is perfect. I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any means. But a 31-27 score I think might be perfect for Iowa State here. I think Brees Hall, like I said, is going to get a plethora of touches with it being his last game. But also, I just think that's how Iowa State's offense runs. Uh, look for Iowa State to try to set the tone early and lean on Brees Hall and try to wear uh, wear away that that Oregon defensive line, which is not the greatest of uh, in the middle. Uh, so I think that what you'll see is is from that from Iowa State defensively. I think Iowa State has to start fast. Oregon is a team that if you know it's a young quarterback, if you can get to him early, I think that's how Iowa State really shuts down that offense. If you let him stick around and let him get confidence, kind of what USC did in the Pac-12 championship game, at some point, Tyler Slough is going to learn is going to learn that, hey, I can use my legs anytime I want to, but also I can use my arm just as well. Kind of like a young Herbert in a way. And I, and I really like what he's bringing to the table. I just don't think he's ready for this game. I think he struggles. I think Iowa State wins in a close one. Uh, when you look at Texas A&M versus North Carolina, I really like whichever team starts fastest. I'll be honest with you. Because both of these teams are the complete opposite when it comes to how they start. North Carolina starts like a Ferrari, whereas Texas A&M starts like a Pinto in most games. I mean, they, they start completely two different levels. Texas A&M typically sputters into the second half, and then they explode because they finally figure out it clicks. In multiple games this year, they've done that, even in big games like against Florida where they came on late. Um, and against a, a game against uh, was it Tennessee that they won 20-7 to 7 or, or something like that where they just were slow the entire ball game. Whereas North Carolina has started the games off ridiculously fast and then they just hit a wall. Um, you know, they're like a 16-year-old with a brand new car. And I, and I really think that if Texas A&M can weather the storm, kind of like what Notre Dame did against North Carolina, if they can weather that early barrage from North Carolina where everything seems to be going right for somehow Texas A&M is going to win this game and win it handedly. I think that they have the more balanced team offensively and defensively. Nick, you hit it right on the head. Can we trust that North Carolina defense this year? No. Unless the offense puts up 45 points, the defense looks like they're trying to give up the game in most games anyways. Uh, and I think Texas A&M is a little bit more balanced and a little bit more prepared for a game like this. I don't think it'll be Kellen Mond's last game as an Aggie. I think he comes back. I think he uses that extra year as well. And I'm really excited for A&M going into next year. I think this is a team that may be able to, to, to compete once again in the SEC West, where I think the rest of the SEC West will still have another down year outside of Alabama. Uh, all right. Well, with that, we move into the playoff games and uh, these should be a lot of fun. And I know we have a big spread on this first one in the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl that is being played in Arlington, uh, of course, as is tradition in 2020. But uh, I guess it'll be not too far from Tyler, Texas, the Tyler Rose, the Rose capital That's of the right. world, isn't it? That's I drove through there like 25 That's where years. Earl Campbell's family owns like a big, you know, uh, Rose. Uh, uh, Rose <laughs> so and that's why he his nickname is the Tyler Rose. So uh, and uh, Notre Dame versus Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Alabama, it's a 20 point favorite in this one. 
65 and a half is the over. Uh, you know, we were look uh, the other night. Uh, I can't remember which go- game. Uh, I, I guess it was the Alamo Bowl where uh, Mike Golick Sr. was talking about it, obviously a graduate from Notre Dame and stuff. And uh, they were showing the records for all of these quarterbacks in the playoffs here. Uh, everyone except Ian Book only has one loss, you know, as far as starters go. And Ian Book has four losses. So uh, it, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy to see how good all these starting quarterbacks are. But uh, Alabama favored by 20, Nick. How do you see this one going? So if, if uh, what, two weeks ago now, I guess it was, when we did the uh, SEC championship game preview, it basically – you know, you could go back and, and listen to that and it would be exactly the same. I mean, we've been on basic, basically we have our numbers have, have not quite caught up to how good Alabama is. It's somewhat similar. We did this with LSU last year. It's something that we've gotten a little bit better at, but uh, we picked, you know, all three of our projection models picked against Alabama in nine games this year. And they covered eight of those. The first one that that uh, we actually covered as an underdog uh, was Florida, and, and that one was, I think, a little bit fortunate. Florida was playing catch up the whole night, so uh, it's similar here. I mean, our, our numbers like Notre Dame. They they basically, you know, when I'm talking about uh, teams already looking ahead to, to 2021, like Georgia and Oklahoma, and how I'm getting excited for those type of teams, I felt similarly about Notre Dame last year, and. You know, so so I knew our numbers were going to like Notre Dame. I they they started off. I think the very first set I had them at, at like seven or eight, and that seemed a little bit low. As the the season got a little closer, they inched up a little bit more. And then during the the year, they played like a playoff team. They they certainly got blown out last week. They were not uh, anywhere close to Clemson's level uh, in, in that ACC championship game. But Notre Dame, you know, ha- has I think earned this spot and our numbers uh, give them respect in, in that amount of, you know, they, they've played at a, uh, even after that game, they were basically top five. I, I think they might've been third in, in team performance rating uh, overall going into the ACC championship game. And certainly they took a step back, but they're still seventh. They're 13th on offense, they're 10th on defense. And, and that's a solid team. They're fourth in our, our uh, overall power rankings. And, you know, we just don't see a, a 20 point gap between our fourth best team and Alabama. Now, Alabama has been an elite, elite team, one of the best offenses of all time. The defense is, has taken uh, some steps forward. Will Anderson looks like one of the best true freshmen uh, that we've seen in, in a really, really long time. Uh, led the SEC in sacks and I don't think got his first until halfway through the season. Uh, they've got, you know, potential first round picks, Dylan Moses, Patrick Sertan, you know, even though Alabama hasn't played elite defense like we're used to, they're still playing at a top 20 level. They're 20th in, in defensive team performance. They're far and away number one on offense and they're number two overall. So, uh, you know, Clemson has, has barely edged them out in, in that uh, number, but they're, they're playing at, you know, they're the number one team in the country. They're number one in our power rankings. They absolutely deserve it. Mac Jones has played like a Heisman candidate. Najee Harris has played like a Heisman candidate. Devontae Smith has played like the Heisman winner. So, you know, best offensive line in the country, according to our numbers, and, and talent just all over the place. 
So it, it's certainly understandable Alabama should win this game, and they certainly could win it by three touchdowns. But our numbers just just think that Notre Dame is going to be able to keep it close enough. Notre Dame ranks sixth in overall roster strength. They rank fifth in offensive roster strength. They rank fourth in defensive roster strength. So, you know, it's not like the talent gap is that just gigantic. Uh, Notre Dame has all Americans on defense. They've, they've got uh, one of the, you know, the second best offensive line in the country. They've got Ian book who, like you mentioned, you know, has four losses, but he's also got 30 wins and, and he's not the, the biggest pro prospect, but he's, you know, can do some things. He can run a little bit. Uh, he can manage a, an offense. The, the biggest concern I've got is Notre Dame's got some, you know, They've got some good guys at skill positions on offense. They've got some big receivers, some physical receivers. Kyron Williams at running back has, has been really impressive. But they don't have just the, the absolute home run hitter like a guy like Devontae Smith or, or a Jalen Waddle if he were healthy enough to play in this game. It sounds like maybe we'll get to see him. But Notre Dame, the, the only thing I think that's really missing uh, is just that that it top-level athlete that can score on any play. Alabama's got a couple of those guys. Notre Dame I don't think has any. So I, I think that is the biggest, you know, the biggest deal. And, and if that Notre Dame defense, which has been really solid all year, has been, you know, very talented, capable of hanging in a, a lot of games uh, and winning a bunch, obviously, uh, you know, if, if they can avoid explosive plays that Alabama has just been – week after week after week, uh, consistently, you know, getting. If they can avoid those on defense, because I don't think they're going to be able to have enough of those type of plays on offense to be able to keep up like Florida did last week. So, uh, you know, that's the only scenario I think it really can get away from Notre Dame and and they get blown out in this game. But I think they're going to be able to do enough uh, to be able to keep this close. So we've got single-digit differences in our stats-only model. Alabama's favored by eight and a half. Talent edge, Alabama's favored by seven and a half. Put it all together and, and our numbers like Alabama a little bit more, but it's still within two touchdowns. So 12 and a half is, is our official projection. We've got Alabama win 37-24. It's going to be tough to keep it within that, but uh, I, I think Notre Dame could keep it within two touchdowns. Uh, Xavier, what do you think? You think uh, Alabama wins this game going away? You think Notre Dame hangs in it? How, how do you see, I see this one going and who moves on? <sighs> Notre Dame will hang into this game with the quarter. That's it. That's it. I'm, I'm giving them 14. One quarter. You'll give them one quarter. That's I'm all. Giving them 17-7 at the end of the first quarter with the ball in their hand. And I'm then I'm giving them 24 to 7 by halftime. And then we're yeah. it's a wrap in the second half. And that's I, a wrap. That's it. I, I don't see where Notre Dame figures it out offensively. You're saying if you need a nap on New Year's Day, this is the game to nap during. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because I think the second game is going to be really, really good, and I think the games before this are actually going to be better than this game itself. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Where does Notre Dame find its offense? Is it the passing game? No. Is it is it the the illustrious running game that they've had all year that they've leaned on for most for the in most big games? Not happening. I, and all and defensively. Devonte Smith is, is ridiculous. First off, he's torched every single secondary he's played all year, and I think. You know, the, the one thing I think about Alabama, I think if Alabama had a blown out Florida, I think maybe Notre Dame could sneak up on him and maybe make this game close in the first half. But you know Nick Saban all week 
has just been showing film of how that defense has looked abysmal against Florida and how he thinks and how, you know, he's got the press clippings. He's digging into these kids. And you know for a fact, Patrick Sertan and company in that secondary want to make sure that everybody remembers how good this defense is and that that Florida game was just a fluke. Because I know Saban, and Saban is not happy with the fact that they only won by one touchdown in that SEC championship game where he fought, probably feels like they should have won by 20. So I, I know that that is exactly the energy that they're going to be bringing to this game against Notre Dame, and there couldn't be a worse team to bring it against because Notre Dame is a very, very one-dimensional, one-and-a-half-dimensional team offensively. Ian Book is not one of those quarterbacks who can stand in the pocket and just sling it around. He's just not. That's not what he's been. He's ever been capable of doing at Notre Dame, and I don't think it's going to change in this game. They're, they like to lean on the run game. They like to lean on the uh, play-action passes when they take their deep shots to their uh, big receivers who aren't typical, aren't prototypically athletic, but they are uh, big receivers. But I don't think that's going to matter when you have Patrick Sertan and company, who he's 6'2 in his own right. You know, they're not going to be throwing against some of the shorter secondaries that they got through against in the ACC. I just don't see where Notre Dame figures out a way to win this ballgame. I, I see this game being very, very, uh, very ugly. I think, once again, like you said, Scott, I think this is a snooze fest of a game come third quarter. If I'm wrong, I would hope to be. Because this will be another reason why people look at Notre Dame year after year and go, why do we want to see them in the playoff? Because every time they go, they get blown out. So I hope for Notre Dame's sake it's a close ball game. I just don't think it will be. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's going to be a particularly close game. I think Alabama wins this one uh, going away. But I think it has been uh, documented that I don't have much respect for Notre Dame. So uh, not enough respect. Uh, I do have respect for Notre Dame. Probably not enough. But, Nick, uh, how about uh, the Sugar Bowl here? I mean, this is the game that everyone's looking forward to. This should play the closest as far as these two games go. Ohio State versus Clemson. Uh, Clemson is a 7.5-point favorite, 66.5. And, and this is almost becoming a postseason tradition, this game at this point, that they've played, uh, they've played so many times here. So how do you see this one going in uh, 2021, Nick? Yeah, and, and uh, real quick, one thing I forgot to mention in the last game, uh, Alabama will be without Landon Dickerson, their All-American center, uh, was the first-team All-American in the FWAA uh, announcement today, uh, probably you know going to be in, in the mix for a couple of awards. Uh, he was carted off in the fourth quarter against Florida. They'll be without him. They, they do have Chris Owens, who's, who's you know going to be fine, certainly capable, uh, but they Alabama will miss him, so maybe maybe you know it takes a little while for that offensive line to, to gel without Dickerson, but we'll, we'll see. But didn't didn't want to didn't want to miss that completely. But uh, yeah, Clemson and, and Ohio State. This is a yeah. You mentioned it. it we've we've seen it uh, often, and and it's always been one of my favorite games to watch each year because these teams are very evenly matched, and, and uh, they're very well coached all the time. They're among the most talented teams in the country, and that's part of the reason why. I, I was really surprised at how our our three models treated this game kind of almost in three completely different ways. And, and uh, that's, you know, it, it, we talked about it with uh, West Virginian Army, for instance. I mean, where, where uh, our, our talent model is way, way, way on, on West Virginia, three touchdowns. And then the stats only model has Army by a touchdown. That's just such a huge gap. I did not expect the gap to be as big as it is. Uh, in those two models with Ohio State and Clemson. Our stats-only model loves Clemson. Clemson has played number one, uh, you know, ranked number one in team performance just barely uh, over Alabama. Uh, they, you know, have, have 
been certainly one of the best teams in college football. They're playing, uh, you know, number one in defensive team performance. That was a little bit of a surprise for me, especially with how, uh, you know, limited they've, they've been at, at defensive line and linebacker so far this year. But it seems like those two units are getting a little bit healthier. Uh, they've got two of the best true freshmen in all of college football on the defensive line playing out of their minds. Uh, you know, absolutely incredible. They don't have the most talented linebackers in the country. They actually only rank 43rd in our linebacker rankings. But, uh, you know, overall, the talent in the rest of the unit is so good. Top 10 secondary, top 10 level uh, defensive line. They actually still rank, uh, you know, in, in the top 15 as far as our talent numbers on defense. And they played uh, like one of the best defenses in, in the country. So Clemson is is absolutely, uh, you know, rightly favored as far as our stats only model, which actually has uh, the Tigers favored by nine and a half. That's a bit of a, a surprise because, uh, you know, Ohio State is a legitimate top three team. And, and we talked, you know, week after week, or, or you know, I've mentioned that uh, in the lead up to the season, Ohio State was jockeying for that number one power ranking. It was basically a, a virtual tie between Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson all year. Uh, they are playing, you know, pretty good football. They're, they rank fourth in team performance overall. They rank third on offense, which is a, a bit of a surprise based on, you know, last week the, the passing game struggled so much. But then Trey Sermon had uh, just an unbelievably huge uh, game in, in the Big Ten championship against uh, Northwestern. So, you know, that that helped pick up the slack a little bit. And then defense started the season really, really slow, but they're, you know, a top 20 unit now uh, as far as team performance goes. They rank 16th. And, and then in terms of talent, Ohio State is the most talented defensive team in the country, according to our numbers. They rank second in defensive line roster strength. They rank second at linebacker and fifth in the secondary. So uh, they were shorthanded a little bit at, at the receiver position uh, with Chris Olave out in the Big Ten championship game. They had, you know, over a dozen guys missing at, at different positions, including one at linebacker, a couple of guys in the secondary, uh, some depth pieces, some freshmen, really talented guys. They haven't leaned on a ton. But, you know, hopefully with a, a little bit of time, they'll be closer to full strength uh, there. But Ohio State, as far as talent goes, matches up as well as anybody in the country. I mean, they are number one in defensive roster strength, as I mentioned, number two on offense and number two overall. So, you know, only Alabama – as far as our, our talent numbers go, has a more talented team. So it, it's, you know, still a little bit surprised to see it's this big, but I'm not surprised that Ohio State would be favored in our talent-only model, but I was surprised to see that they're favored by more than a touchdown there. So, you know, those two sort of competing models, one where it only looks at stats, one that only looks at talent, huge, huge gap. We throw everything together, including, you know, coaching history and, and all of that. Uh, we see it as a really, really – evenly matched game. Uh, Justin Fields at quarterback, you know, is the same 100 rating maximum rated player as Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trey Sermon is a 96. If he gets, you know, the heavier workload, it's a little bit of a surprise that he got so much more work than Master Teague last week. But hey, he's he's looking like, a, you know, one of the top running backs in the country uh, right now. And, and so that's, you know, understandable. Chris Olave, if he's healthy, great. He's a, a 95, 96 type player. Garrett Wilson is a 93 as a, as a you know true sophomore. It's going to be one of the highest rated receivers in the country next year. They've got a top five offensive line led by, you know, Wyatt Davis. Uh, and so, you know, Ohio State, I, I am a little bit shocked might not be the right word, 
but I don't agree that Clemson is seven and a half points better than than Ohio State. That that really really surprised me to see that number. And again, absolutely they could win this game by double digits, certainly. But Ohio State is just too talented. And and I know Justin Fields got banged up a little bit in the last game. I know he didn't look great in the last game, but yeah, I, I just I don't I don't really see uh, Clemson winning this by two scores. They could certainly win it, and our, we do have them favored, but it's only by about a point. So our, our official projection is Clemson 30 and Ohio State 29. I think I'd rather be in Ohio State, and we are in two of our three models. Uh, they don't all agree like they do on, on Notre Dame, and I don't have as much confidence in that. I think Ohio State can can keep this game close, and I think Ohio State can win this game. And, and one of the you know points I, I heard it mentioned on the bowl game earlier today and a you know, ton of people have said it, so it's not an original idea. But a lot of people were, you know, crying that that Ohio State should, you know, didn't deserve to be here because they played basically half the games. And I don't have a strong opinion on that one way or the other, but I do see that as a big time advantage. You know, Ohio State has not had the wear and tear of eleven games like Clemson has. So uh, absolutely, we could see Ohio State's best game. We could see them play up to the level of their true talent, which according to our numbers is is more talented than Clemson in this game. We haven't seen Ohio State at their best, but maybe, you know, maybe now's the time. I absolutely could see them winning this game. I, you know, we think Clemson will pull it out, but I, I think this is going to be, you know, come down to the wire, certainly within one score, you know, maybe a field goal difference, maybe even closer. So I'm glad we're on Ohio State plus seven and a half. That number seems a little off to me. I've been wrong plenty before, but but I'm glad our numbers are, are on the Buckeyes. All right, Xavier, what do you think of this? Uh, it, I mean, it's going to be a great bowl game, uh, and you you got to give it more credit than you gave Alabama and Notre Dame as far as that game goes, right? Uh, how do you see this one going? Yeah, I, I really like Clemson in this ball game. I, for some reason, Ohio State has not has rubbed me the wrong way in big games this year. Whether it's the slow start against Indiana earlier this year, whether it's the slow start against Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game, they just seem to not be at the races when it comes to big games this year. Uh, yes, they've been able to pull out both of them due to second half adjustments, and you know, obviously, they were just able to you know, will their game against Indiana. But you know, when I look at this game against Clemson. Ohio State has to figure it out in the passing game. You know, they're not going to be able to lean on 300 yards of rushing from Trey Sermons. That's just not going to happen. Uh, and Justin Fields, he has in some ways regressed, in my opinion, than he was last year. And then we kind of talked about it coming into this year. That I thought the loss of his, you know, the senior later receiving core that he had last year was going to be a big hindrance to him in the passing game this year. And it really has been. You know, without Chris Olave last week, he did not have any options whatsoever in that first half and really looked, you know, like he couldn't find anybody, you know, and Chris Olave looks like he'll be back for this game. So that's a plus for Ohio State. But I'm still concerned on whether or not Justin Fields is going trusts his receiving core enough in tight in, in this game where he's going to have to pass the football. Another concern for him this year has been holding the football too long. But typically when quarterbacks hold the ball too long is because they can't find anybody to throw to. And, and we know that the Clemson secondary is, is always going to run press man to man coverage. They're going to force these young kids on the outside for Ohio State to win. And, you know, Brett Venable is going to probably do that in sin six or seven every play. You know, he saw the film against Northwestern. He saw the fact that that secondary for Northwestern, which I don't think, at least talent-wise, is nowhere near Clemson's, was able to rattle Justin Fields and, and pick him off several times in that ballgame. And if it wasn't for the fact that Northwestern just forgot that 
you know, running the football was a part of the game, then, you know, who knows what Northwestern does last week? You know, I think Clemson's going to put seven in the box and they're going to force Justin Fields and those young receivers on the outside to beat them. And I don't think they're going to have anything in the tank. I think Clemson wins this game comfortably. I think they win this game by 10 or 13 points. I, I just don't think that, you know, Ohio State has enough in this thing. I don't think we get the classic that we did last week, last year where it comes down to the last drive. I think we see Clemson, you know, show that they're the better team in this ballgame and have been the better team all year. I just don't think Ohio State's cohesive enough offensively to, to go with Clemson. And I think defensively where Ohio State has been good, they've also played a lot of one-dimensional teams, you know, uh, Oh, uh, you know, I, I, I think they didn't play a lot of one-dimensional teams where the defense has been allowed to, to to key in on the fact that Northwestern's passing game was crud. And I think you really saw against Indiana, they struggled with a team that could run and pass. That's why, the, the you know, the biggest game of any team that they've had this year, Indiana had 35 points against them and was able to pick off Justin Fields twice. The only difference in that ball game was that, you know, Ohio State just had more talent and was able to will their way into it. I don't think they have that opportunity in this game against Clemson. I think Clemson wins this game. And I, I can't wait to see them against Alabama in the national championship game because uh, I think that Clemson is hitting its peak at the right time. Where I think oh, I, Alabama has been the best team in the country. I think Clemson is getting healthy at the right time and they're hitting an upswing at the right moment. Uh, th this is we've gone the long way to say that we're going to get another Alabama versus Clemson championship. Uh, but Nick, like the early numbers on this, ha have you run them yet? If it was Bama versus Clemson, of course, I know that look, injuries can happen. Opt outs can happen, all that good stuff. So we have to, you know, we're not giving out any official numbers, but if we were going with these same squads right now, I'm wondering how, uh, what what it would be because th this is kind of what it's boiled down to is I think everyone had Bama versus Clemson this year. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't have the stats only model or the talent edge uh, model right away, but I, I do know our official projection right now would have Alabama favored uh, by a little less than six, so about five five point seven points, uh, which. Seems about right. I mean, Alabama, I think, is at this point separated itself a little bit from Clemson and Ohio State. Uh, but that means what that means that, that they'd be about a seven point favorite, seven and a half over Ohio State. So don't expect that to change too much. Neither of those teams has uh, any opt out concerns at this point playing in a, a national championship game. But uh, injuries, of course, could could, uh, as you mentioned, be, be a factor. But Alabama would be favored if they're able to get by Notre Dame. Uh, I, I have a tiny, tiny little bit of hope that Notre Dame pulls it off because I do have some uh, a few uh, very early January shares of Notre Dame uh, from this time last year. So I, I would like that. I do have I, – I, I, so we'll, we'll talk about these things more. Uh, probably you know next week when basically we'll only be talking about the national championship game and then starting in the early off season. But I'm already, as you can tell, because I've mentioned 2021 a few times. Uh, I, I love this time of year because I think we can get out a little bit of a head uh, in futures. And, and usually, as soon as the final whistle of the national championship game uh, blows, the the sports books post the early 2021 futures. And I got uh, LSU at 25 to one. Uh, leading into the 2019 season. So that gives you some flexibility. If, if you pick up a team like that, come in. What? 
Not going to pay out on that one, right? Uh, <laughs> no, no, in 2019. So in, oh, in January 2019, yep. yeah, I got LSU 25 to 1, uh, among others. I mean, I, I do spread it around a bit. But I had Alabama 7 to 1 uh, in January of, of last year, and I got Notre Dame at like 20 to 1 or, or something. So it uh, gives gives options. So so I'm, I'm sitting okay regardless of what happens here. I shied away of both Ohio State and Clemson at this point. But right now, I think I think I, I, it might be worth uh, Ohio State a, a little bit to, to – uh, it was like plus 1,600 or something last I looked. I don't have it right in front of me. But uh, anyway, so so I will be looking for some teams to target in, in uh, those early January futures – uh, but seven to one has got to be like, you got to take that every year until Saban retires. Right. Oh yeah. It, it was a bit of a surprise because they were our, they were the, the number one team when we did our very first numbers in February. Uh, and, and so they were, you know, LSU had, it was like five to one or something. Uh, Georgia, I think was, was five to one, something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I got Alabama to win the sec at, at, uh, four to one, I, I want to say something like that. And then to win the, the national championship at seven to one. So, so absolutely. That's, that's sort of where my mind is right now, because if, if you can pick up a team uh, with some extra value, because maybe we're a, a little bit ahead of, of the odds makers, or certainly the market, uh, there's some value there. So folks out there, that'll, that'll be some conversations we have in, in the coming weeks and where my mind already is a little bit, because I've, I've basically, you know, we're, we're sitting good on, on one side of the, uh, playoff here, uh, rooting against Ohio State and Clemson at this point, but it gives some options as we're uh, as we're uh, you know look, looking ahead. But anyway, so that that's a, a, a big tangent, but uh, you know I- exciting times, exciting for these games, and and certainly uh, next week as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us uh, today. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Have a safe and happy New Year. Uh, you know, everyone is excited to put 2020 to bed and, uh, we're almost there. We're, we're, we can see there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're almost into 2021. So, uh, you guys can follow all of us on the Twitter at Bogman sports for me at CFB winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish tear. I C H E for Xavier. Uh, good luck in all your bets and we will see you next year. I'll make a dad joke too, Xavier. Look at that. <laughs> See you guys. The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. You can support this show and help fund our 2021 off-season improvements by visiting patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pledging as little as $5 per month. Thank you to all who have supported us this year, making 2020 our best season yet.